Well, good morning. As Don has already wonderfully said and Bill beautifully prayed for us, some Sunday mornings we're thankful to recognize the God that we serve and how wonderful it is to assemble with his people. As we try to encourage folks to consider becoming a Christian, it's one of the great, great blessings. Not only that we serve a wonderful God, but that he blesses us with a family and an opportunity to be together. And some days as our hearts are heavy, as many of you are dealing with things that we don't even know about, diagnosis or sickness or death or many other things, we come together and we can spend a few moments worshiping God and encourage each other with our presence, with these songs that we've already sung, thinking about heaven, thinking about that beautiful home that awaits us if we will be found faithful. And we are thankful that you are here this morning, especially to any of our visitors. We're glad that you've come our way. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to consider joining us here at Saudi. But we're welcome. We're glad that you're here. Welcome you and to all of our members this morning. We hope that you can be back with us again tonight. We all know what today is. All right. Today is Lance Ritchie Day. All right. This is the first anniversary of a year ago when I stood here and said that you have to be living under a rock to not know it's Super Bowl Sunday. And Lance was the first person out the door that said, I had no idea that it was Super Bowl Sunday. And so Lance apparently doesn't watch the TV or the news and doesn't keep up with the newspaper. And maybe many of us need to take a little cue from that probably and let go of a little bit of that more as well. Uh, but for many of us, we know because the world is fascinated and focused on what will take place this evening. But we will be here and we hope that you'll be here with us. Uh, I won't promise too short of a sermon, but we'll try to get you out and maybe you'll be home by the end of the first quarter. Uh, and we hope that uh, you can be back with us again uh, this evening at six o'clock as we'll assemble together again. We're going to talk about the idea of holiness, uh, being set apart, being different. Um, being at services is not a requirement in the way that you check the box. But being at services, even on Sunday nights and even on a Sunday night when the rest of the world is, is focused on something else, is a way that we show that we are set apart, that we're about something different. And so we hope that you can join us tonight. You know, we live in probably the most technologically advanced age in all the world. It's, it's hard to argue against that. I was thinking about that fact, and it's kind of funny when we go back and think about like the Jetsons, you know, cartoon or, or what the movie said would happen in the year 2000 or the year 2020, we may not have hit all of those things. Cars are not flying exactly yet. We're not traveling across space just on vacation or on a whim, but, but yet we live in an age in a world that is so far technologically advanced that many of us could ever have imagined when we were younger, the things that we can do. And there's no doubt that while our minds have grown and technology has grown, that, that the world has grown as well. We, we understand the fact that, that population, the population levels continue to rise. The world has not grown physically in the sense, of course, that the earth is growing, but the world around us. There's, there's people everywhere. There's all kinds of, of different nations and nationalities and countries and customs and things around us. And, and you could take years and never see all the sites and visit all the places the world has grown. It used to be that, that maybe you knew your street corner or you knew your little farm or your area of the world, and that was about it. It was hard maybe to get to Europe or Asia or other places, but, but the world has continued to grow. We have grown, and we have abilities now and capabilities. But at the same time, even I appreciate Bill's prayer, it's hard to argue that while the world has grown, that the church has shrunk. 
And that's brought up by facts and figures. It's not something that we just come up with off the cuff. In fact, there are numbers that are shared. This is from the House to House, Heart to Heart group. And Brother Rob Whitaker, some of, us, some of our folks got to go and attend the evangelism conference in Dunlap uh, the last couple of days. And he talked about some of these things. Studies that are done. We can, we can do research. We can find these things out. From around the year 2000 on to today, this is the number of congregations that have been found that have reported in uh, across the United States. This is the number, and each year you can tell over, over the years it has continued to shrink. I think the number that they toss out and use is we are around, averaging around 100 congregations a year right now. Now, some of those are small, and some of those close their doors maybe for various reasons, but, but there's no doubt that we're continuing to shrink. In fact, according to the current attrition rate or the number that again that's attributed to this, the current attrition rate is about 18,000 Christians, members of the church per year, losing 18,000 members per year. Now, again, we can't argue with those. We can talk to people. We can ask them what they believe. We can do surveys and research. And this is what the numbers are continually pointing towards. That yes, without a doubt, the church is shrinking. The question this morning, the question for us is, why? I mean, we can't argue with the facts. We can't argue with math. But why? Why is the church shrinking? Well, we know that sin is enticing. We understand that. John talks about in 1 John 2, the lust of the flesh and the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. There's no doubt that sin is enticing. But you know, sin has always been enticing, right? I mean, from the first century all the way back to we read in the book of Genesis on Wednesday night in our class about the fact that the world, that sin is enticing to us, to anyone. We, we want to do what we want to do. We want to do what makes us feel good. So sin is enticing and we choose to follow our own path. And because of that, we leave or folks leave the faith. And then, yes, the church is shrinking. But maybe there's more to it than just that. I mean, it's not simply that we just choose to do what we want to do. And maybe it would be beneficial for us if we look inward for a few moments and not just outward. It's easy to blame the media. It's easy to blame other folks and to blame the people that are in the news and that get the most coverage. But the fact of the matter is, maybe we need to consider ourselves. Maybe the church should consider what the church is doing, both right and maybe wrong, to prevent the church from shrinking any more than it already is. And maybe it would help us this morning to examine a biblical example. If you've got your Bible, look in John chapter 4. Maybe it would help us to turn inward and to consider exactly what we read about in the Bible, John chapter 4. When we read John chapter 4, we see something that happened to Jesus. Now in John chapter 4, we meet at the very beginning a, a Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is traveling. Rather than going around Samaria, as was the custom for the Jews, he goes into or through Samaria. He goes to Jacob's well and he meets this woman, this woman that's well known. In verse number 24, he says one of the most famous things that we like to quote, and that's the fact that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We know that. But when we see come to verse number 27, we see that his disciples have been gone, and they are now coming back. But notice what they are considering. It actually begins all the way back in verse number 8 of John 4. The Bible says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. We go forward to verse number 27, and we notice that his disciples have come back, and they marvel that he talked with a woman, yet 
No one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? We go forward to verse 31. And it says, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. And then in verse 33, therefore his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? You see, sometimes we get caught up as the disciples do. The people are there. We want people to be here and to learn about Christ. In this example, the people are there. They're standing around. It says that the woman had gone in verse number 28. She leaves her water pot there. She goes into the city. And in verse 30, they come back with her. So there are people there. People are standing around. And what are the disciples so focused on? Well, they're focused on the material things. And I'm afraid that all too often we are like the disciples and that we are more worried about the material things of this world than the spiritual things of this world. Our focus is wrong. Our focus is on the trivial, not on the eternal. We are short-sighted sometimes when we have interactions with others. And look, I get it. I know how uncomfortable it can be for myself as well to try to bring up something like that to someone, especially at the grocery store or the restaurant you're fixing to go to or whatever. It's uncomfortable. And so we just kind of ask about how your mama's doing, how your folks, those kinds of things. And we focus on the material. and We don't ever consider asking about the spiritual. The disciples here seem to be focused time and time again on what Jesus is eating and these physical things and taking care of him. And so our title this morning comes from Jesus' response to his disciples. And it's there in verse number 30, beginning in verse number 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white. For harvest. Maybe I simplify things sometimes a little too much. I, I don't know, try to make examples, but, but I picture Jesus here doing what we sometimes do to our children. And I, I'll give you a, a, a daily example here. We go to my mom's for Thanksgiving every year, and currently there are 10 grandchildren and one on the way. So, 10 grandchildren out of the 10 grandchildren of my mother, six of them are under the age of four. So, a lot of little ones running around. So, what do we do? It's Thanksgiving, the family's all together. We've got to make the family picture, right? So everybody hates it. Nobody likes it, I know. And you get all everybody together. And then we have to have the kid picture. So we get all the kids together. And mine are the oldest. So they're tasked with holding, you know, the youngest, the babies. And we get them all together. And what's everybody doing? Well, all the children are, are looking down, right? And grandma's ready. We call her Nana in our house. Nana's got her phone up. And she's ready with her camera to take pictures. And so then it becomes my task to stand behind Nana and do this, right? Hey, look up here, look up here, right? To get everybody's attention. And we get a few, you know, and we snap 100 pictures in 30 seconds or less and hope that in one, everybody has their eyes up at the camera. So again, maybe it's a little too simplistic, I don't know, but it what, it's what came to my mind considering that it seems like Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes, look up, pay attention, look around you, because the fields are already white for harvest. Folks, the reason the church is shrinking today is not because there are no more lost people in the world who are in need of a savior. That's not the reason that the church is shrinking. The church is shrinking because the saved people are too preoccupied with their promotions and their own people and their profiles on social media, their phones and anything but doing the task of the father and the son. 
anything but paying attention and following the command of Jesus, the Savior of the world. The church is not shrinking because there's no more lost folks. We've got them in droves. There are people all around the world who are lost and need to know the Savior. But the plan, from the very beginning, the plan for reaching out to those lost people was not some magnificent moment, was not some slap up beside the head that just makes everyone believe, but the plan all along was that the Savior would come and he would leave his followers to carry out that great commission, that great command. And I love you, and I love the church that belongs to Christ, but brethren, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in very serious danger with the head of the body. Jesus the Christ for not following his commands. We have to look inwardly and understand and realize if we are doing what he has told us to do. To follow his very simple instructions. The facts show from 1906, the census, the United States census of 1906 forward to about 1973 or the early 1970s that we were the fastest growing religious body in the United States I even heard Brother Rob, I don't know if he got to do it this weekend, but he's got a dictionary uh, from I don't know when exactly, but a dictionary. And when you turn to the word Christian, the 12th definition is a Campbellite. Now, many of us reject that term, and rightfully so. We don't follow or obey Alexander Campbell. But if you know anything about that term, it was given to members of the Church of Christ who were seeking to restore New Testament Christianity just as Alexander Campbell was. They had to recognize that the church of Christ was growing. That when you use the name Christian, and I think even in our, some of our dictionaries in here, you'll see this idea of the split in 1906. They recognized that people who wear the name Christian, followers of Christ, connected or were connected to the churches of Christ. And during that time, the church grew. But for the last four decades, the church has shrunk. We can blame lots of people, but maybe we should consider this morning what we could be doing, what we should be doing. Friends, I believe this morning there is a God in heaven. Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 28, Daniel says very plainly when he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven. I believe that God in heaven breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7 that the God of the creator of all things, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, who spoke at various times and in various ways to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us. He's spoken to us by his son. And he told us, John three sixteen that he so loved the world, all of mankind, that he gave his only begotten son, that we could be saved. That's what I believe. But maybe, just maybe, the church is shrinking because this morning we've forgotten the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is listed in numerous ways or using different words in different places. Matthew would write in Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 28 that he, he came, that's Jesus came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew again, Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 13. He came, Jesus came, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we're all familiar with Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. That he came, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
It's easy to forget sometimes that Jesus did one-on-one personal study or personal work, if you will, personal time. We read so much about the crowds that were thronging about him and the crowds that were following him. His family couldn't even get to him, we read about in Luke's account of the gospel of Christ. His family couldn't even get to him because there were so many people, but yet he found time. He found time for one-on-one time, for one-on-one work. He did have those moments of personal touch. John chapter 3, we know verse 16. John chapter 3, who's he talking with? Nicodemus. We go forward to John 4, we just read it. Who's he talking with? The Samaritan woman at the well. Luke 19, to seek and to save the lost. Who's he been talking with? Zacchaeus. We know that story as well. He took time to interact with folks on a one-on-one level. And his mission was to seek and to save the lost. But folks, we must remember that mission of Jesus. But we must remember as well that it was then transferred to the apostles. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we call it the Great Commission, go. Or the verb tense or the verb form there, of course, as you are going, as you are walking, as you are moving, go and make disciples baptizing them and teaching them to observe. We read the Great Commission. This is our task. This is the task that was transferred from Jesus to the apostles. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, go and preach to everyone, baptize believers. And we see that beginning to take place in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Jesus tells them of what's coming Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus says, You will be witnesses of Christ unto all the earth. They were to be going. They were to take this mission. Jesus says, This is what I came to do, and now I am transferring it to you, my disciples. But of course, it doesn't stop there, right? The disciples are gone. If it stopped there, then we would have nothing to do. We'd have no need to share the good news with anyone. But it went from being transferred to the apostles to then being transferred to the saved. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 23 that this was accomplished, by the way. It's not completely accomplished as we talk about our world growing. But Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 23, Paul says that the gospel was preached, notice, to every creature under heaven. Paul says we've done our part. We've done our task of then transferring this task to the saved. And it is Paul who would write to the young preacher Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse number 2. Paul says, These things that you have heard from me, I have given them to you. Commit them to faithful men who will teach others also. The idea of paying it forward is not new. It's began all the way back then. Paul says, Take what I've told you, Timothy. Share it with faithful men and they'll share it with others. And we continue to see that growing and moving on. And guess what? They took him seriously. Now, I know Paul may have been writing this to Timothy later, but remember in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4? Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 8 and the end of chapter 7? They just killed Stephen. There's murder. There's cold-blooded murder right then and there as those folks gathered around, take stones, and stone Stephen. And they're making, the Bible says there at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, those folks that know Stephen are making great lamentation over him they are mourning and on top of being mournful of losing a loved one someone that they cared about they're scared because they might be next on this list that crazy fellow Saul he's making havoc dragging people around so what do they do well if you look there in Acts chapter 8 I think it may be in verse 1 or 2 and then later in verse 4 the Greek says that they diospiro 
or diospyro. It's written out when you see that Greek word as looking like disperse. They scatter. Your Bible probably says something like they scatter like ants. So they're mourning after this murder. They're scared after this murder and they disperse or scatter. But what does verse 4 say of Acts chapter 8? Therefore, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You see, this mission of Jesus was great to seek and to save the lost. And he transferred it to those who were closest to him to go and do likewise, to seek and to save that which is lost. But they didn't stop there. They transferred it as well to the saved of the world. Brethren, we must take the mission of Christ, saving the lost that was transferred to the apostles, that was then transferred to the saved, and we must share it with sinners. It's as simple as that. Jesus says to every creature we must love souls enough to share with them their lost condition it's not easy it's uncomfortable they'll slam the door in your face they'll get mad at you they won't talk to you for months it's not easy but we must love lost souls enough to share with them their lost condition one of the most sobering songs that we sometimes sing you know it you never mentioned him to me what's the context it's too late Someone looks at you and says, you never told me, you never shared with me, you're enjoying the good things. How come you never mentioned him to me? And it it pains us for at least a moment to think about that. We sing those words and it kind of hits home, it steps on our toes for just a second. But what are we willing to do with that? Are we willing to go further? Are we willing to consider how great a task it is? This is our task. And friends, as much as I love technology, and, and, and like the radio, last week we had Brother Jeff Archie here from the International Gospel Hour. As much as I love that, and as much as I love social media and the free medium of Facebook and being able to share our messages, folks, the Lord didn't lay the task of evangelism on machinery. He laid it on men. That's our task. He gave it to us, to mankind, to share it with the world. All the mass media, all the social media cannot substitute for the saints The saved meeting one-on-one for Bible study, for evangelism. We use large phrases like that, and it scares us, and it does make us uncomfortable. But that's the task. That's the mission. In the auditorium class this morning, we talked about witnessing for a few moments. And this idea that, that in the Old Testament, we read about witnessing. In the New Testament, we read about witnessing. Telling what you know, telling what you saw. And, and I'll be honest, we, we shy away from that word a little bit. The way that it's used by the denominational world, we shy away from, from talking about witnessing. But it's simply telling what you know or telling what you saw. Telling people of Jesus. We may not have firsthand accounts ourselves. We don't have interaction with him today the way that the twelve and others did. But we can still share the good news. And let's go back one more time to John chapter 4. And notice what happened. If you turned away, John chapter 4, Jesus speaks through about verse number 38. And then beginning in verse number 39, notice. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed. They believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Another word that we sometimes shy away from, but because of her telling. He told me all that I ever did is what she responded to them with. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And notice verse 42. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, now we believe 
Not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Not because of what you said only, but because we have witnessed it ourselves, we can believe in Jesus Christ. Friends, we've got the answer. We have the antidote for the sin problem. We have the key to the eternal life, and we've got an example right here in front of us of people simply telling what they know and people coming to believe in Christ. The people say, now we believe not just because of you, although you were the mouthpiece by which you shared about this Jesus, but we believe in him because of him, because of what he has done and because of the savior of the world. Folks, it's high time that we lift up our eyes, that we cannot look down anymore and be distracted, even quite literally by times at our devices and our phones, but just simply looking down and looking around at the world around us. No more looking down, no more distractions, no more pleading ignorance. I don't have time, I don't have ability, I don't know what to do. The fields are already white for harvest. They were in John chapter 4, and goodness knows as much as the world has grown since then to the year 2020, there are still many, many fields. And as Brother Whitaker says in his seminar, it's really easy to throw $1,000 at someone going to India or, or $2,000 at someone going to New Zealand. And that's fine. We should do that. That's great. We're thankful that our elders see fit to take money and send it to those kinds of places. But folks, we've got to begin in our own backyard. We've got to begin with the people that we come in contact with every day. My thought process through this was that maybe, God be willing, next Sunday we'll come back and talk about this a little more. We'll maybe lay down a little more uh, of some details, of some, some actions, some things we can do. Because I know, I know how uncomfortable it can be. I know how hard it can be. I've got my own family members that I see at that exact same Thanksgiving dinner that I know I need to talk to. We've got to begin sharing with people the mission of Christ. He transferred it to his apostles and they transferred it to the saved, to the church. And we must continue to reach out to sinners. One interesting note, of course, this morning is that you cannot share. I mean, it's simply a matter of fact. You cannot share what you have not already done. You cannot share what you do not know. And so this morning, right here and right now, as we are about to sing this song of invitation, are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? You cannot tell somebody what to do unless you've done it yourself. Are you a washed in the blood, baptized believer for the forgiveness of your sins? If not, why not? Repent this morning. The word used there, of course, simply means to change your mind. Stop doing what you want to do and do what Christ would have you to do. Stop doing what you want to do and do what God would have you to do. Repent of your sins. Change your mind this morning. Confess the name of Jesus Christ before this great audience as the Son of God and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The water is always ready. And if it's not for some reason, we'll find some somewhere. It's of that much importance. Maybe you're here this morning and you know or you have known that you can't share the good news because you know that folks are going to look at you as being hypocritical. They're going to say, well, I hear what you're saying, but I know your life doesn't match up with that. Maybe they're here, here this morning, and you know that that's a problem in your life. There's sin that is separating you from God. Don't delay. Through confession, repentance, and prayer, the way is available. The way home to Christ and to God the Father is made. Be made whole and be prepared to share the saving power of the gospel. 
We're about to sing these words in just a moment. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less. Is yours? Do you need to make a change? Come now as we stand together and as we sing.